All right, welcome, welcome to another uh, Friday night, Friday evening episode of Milk and Meat here in Kingdom and Context. I'm Sean Griffin, and tonight we're going to be talking about Heaven's Bible that was actually given to mankind, and we're going to meet some about the different ways that happened, following the progression of how that happened. So thanks for joining us. It's going to be a really exciting episode for me. I'm going to get to nerd out a little bit tonight and um, join us in the live chat so you can ask any questions you may have. And if you're seeing this afterwards, go ahead and put your questions in the comments below. I'll try to get them as soon as possible. Um, don't, don't forget to like and then share this video if you enjoyed it. So like and share it. And then also, if you haven't already subscribed to Kingdom in Context, make sure you do that now. That's, that's what helps us grow as well as liking and videos and commenting and just the interaction in general is what YouTube views as positive interaction on videos that they um, will then share that to other people. So we, we really appreciate that because our whole goal in this is that we can give you good information to take with you to build your faith, to help you grow in discipleship. That way you're able to uh, talk to your friends and family easier about it and defend all the misconceptions that bad out of context arguments that are constantly thrown at us as believers. Hopefully we're helping you with some tools for your tool belt to do, you know, to, to accomplish uh, better conversations with friends, families, and even unbelievers, because I always tell people, whether you believe the Bible or not, that's between you and the creator. That's between you and your heart. That's, that's a totally different conversation. My goal, I want to make sure that you understand what the Bible actually says, because there's so many bad narratives. There's bad retellings of the scriptures. The enemy comes in purposely with his famous phrase, did God really say? He wants to get mankind to question what was actually said. So my goal is not to get you to believe in God. Um, I want to show you that what the Bible says applies to you is relevant. And then the spirit is the one that draws you to believe in him. So my goal is let's just make sure we understand what the book says first, and then you can choose to believe it or not. That's between you and God. But ultimately, um, hopefully as believers watching this, interacting and fellowship with our ministry, what we're trying to do with Kingdom in Context. Hopefully these are good resources for you to, to do that, have those conversations. So tonight it's a fun conversation because a lot of people will question the idea of where do we get the Bible? What what's the deal? Did a bunch of men put it together? Did men write it? Did they copy it from Sumerian tablets? Did Was it just plagiarized from the Tale of Gilgamesh? What, what's the deal here? Where did we get this concept? And I'm going to show tonight from the scriptures that we've got this concept from the Father and that the concept of his information that we actually have today in collections, that was actually prophesied as well. So the whole point was he wanted us to have this information for our good. And he all along the way has given it to mankind at different stages intentionally for us to, to, to be benefited, to have faith and hope, to, to build our righteousness, right, for training in righteousness. Um, that way we're not left without the bread of life in this world, right? Because he has the same bread of life, metaphoric bread of life, the word of God in heaven. And I'm not talking about the idiomatic phrase for the son of God being the word of God. I mean, literally the words that we have today to study for righteousness, a huge portion of it comes directly from the books the angels read in heaven, the books that was written when creation began. As I've said so many times on Kingdom and Context, especially on our tour apologetics series that we do. The whole concept of the Torah just means instructions. The father gave us instructions for living. Whenever he created Adam, he said, here's the instructions on how you live. When he created all things, he gave them instructions on how to live. Not simply biological instructions through DNA and RNA, but also 
the instructions for morality, for interaction with other people, their instructions for interaction with him, what we call worship. So he gave us all these instructions and he's continually even into mankind. And we're going to review those moments tonight as we talk about it. I just want to say hello to everyone joining us in the chat. Thank you for being here. And let me check out the chat real quick and, and say hi. Um, thank you to all the moderators that are that show up on Friday nights. And if you're if you're here and you've got a wrench beside your name, that's that means that I've seen you before and you've you've interacted with us peacefully, lovingly, and and uh, I've had a chance to get to know you a little bit. So I, I appreciate you trying to keep the chat to uh, basic guidelines of you know respect and decency. Um, anyone that's trying to promote links to outside websites, obviously, we want to you know take those comments out because we don't know what those are, and just try to keep all the all the discussions civil and also on the content of what we're talking about tonight. So. Thank you for everyone. All the moderators been here, and also want to say hello to Clayton Linhart. Thanks for being here, Dan Perry. Um, okay, Dan Perry, you've got a super long YouTube handle. That's I, I don't even know how they let you get away with that, but that's awesome. And so it's Dan Perry, repent of sin, Team Yeshua for the win. I like it. Donna Flink, you're welcome, sister. Thanks for being here, Dakota. Welcome, good to see you. Lion within us. Thank you, sir. Good. For, thank you for being here as always. Uh, Tony Stryker, thank you for being here. Watch some you, David Shearer. Thanks for being here, brother. Uh, Kingdom Truther, Shalom. Thanks for being here. And uh, JC and the Kedoshim, Shalom to you. Guys, a lot of you that are watching our channel, you celebrate Sabbath and you rest on the Sabbath. So if you're if you're doing that uh, tonight and tomorrow or even just tomorrow, depends on how you celebrate the Sabbath, Shabbat Shalom to you. Hope you're hope you enjoy your rest. All right. Ryan, Ryan Hicks of Benjamin DOC, welcome, brother. Uh, Stephen Belk, welcome. Vicky Lott, Miss Vicky, welcome. She's from where I used to live in, uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, B Light, welcome. Good to see you again. Tony Rowe, Tanya Rowe, uh, Shabbat Shalom. Becky Harden, John Jaegers, um, L. Wilkins 25. Thanks for being here. <laughs> All right, guys. I appreciate everyone that's uh, shown up, everyone that's here. Someone 19, thanks for joining us again for those seeking. Shabbat Shalom. And High Tech Hillbilly, yeah, from Northern Idaho. Good to see you, brother. Thanks for coming back. Miss Peggy D, thank you for being here. I hope, you're having a, hope this will be beneficial to you tonight, too. And uh, Christopher Gomez, welcome, brother. And then Kathy, Shabbat Shalom. Thanks for being here, everyone. Guys, if you haven't already, hit the like button. If you if you know that this, the content that we normally put out is, like I said, it's a milk and meat live stream. So we're going to have some milk in here, but there's going to be some meat, as always. So we want to, if you like... The, the meaty topics uh, that we try to talk about and discuss, uh, hit the like button, share it with those on your social media. That way we get the word out so other people can be blessed by it. That's the whole goal. All right, guys, I'm going to jump right in the presentation because we've got some fun stuff to cover. And then as always, at the end, we're going to take questions from the chat. So moderators, uh, please look out for the questions. If you want to write a question in the live chat, please put it in all caps. That way the moderators can distinguish it easily. And we think, uh, thank you guys for your questions. Okay, so let me see here. We will come over here to my slides and start discussing tonight's topic of Heaven's Bible given to Enoch and Jacob, not just Enoch, Jacob. And that's not like an idiomatic phrase for all of Israel. It's we're literally going to talk about Jacob tonight. So that's to me, I thought that's that's a something you never really hear about. It's a little fun, fun thing. So all right, let me do this here. Okay, everyone. Hope everyone can see this. 
Let's see here. Just give me one second to. Pull this to the side. Okay. All right, guys. So it says, oh, first of all, um, help me out. How's my sound tonight? Because I'm trying a new thing with my mic. And so I've got my, my volume levels adjusted slightly different. So I'm talking and looking this way at a monitor to go over some of the information with you tonight. Has my volume been okay? Do I need to talk directly into the mic and move my mic? Because it's kind of to my left instead of them being in front of me. So if anyone can... If anyone knows the difference, it looks like Dakota says sounds great. Clint, okay, sounds great. Okay, thanks guys. Thank you, thank you. All right, first Enoch 103.2. This is uh, Enoch the prophet. I know a mystery and have read the heavenly tablets and I've seen the holy books and I've found written therein. So this is, this is Enoch himself and the many different visions that he had and the interaction that he had with the angels for 300 years. Um, he talks that he actually read heavenly tablets and holy books and that there were things written inside those tablets and books. So this, a lot of people skip right over this. You don't even think about what you're looking at. That means if he is, can walk up to the angels who are within the, the, uh, the garden of Eden, that's, we'll go over that in a little bit. That's where he spent the 300 years. He didn't literally go to above the firmament. Cause we've talked about emphatically on the kingdom of context that the, um, First resurrection event is the first time believers since Adam are able to go above the firmament because they get their new resurrected bodies. But at this point in history, this is before the flood, you have the, the Garden of uh, Eden is still on the ground. And this is where Jubilees tells us, okay, I'm sorry, guys, one second. It looks like I'm having some issue with, with my screens. Okay, let's try this again. Let's try this again. Let's see if it's going to put the right screen up. There we go. <laughs> there we go. All right. So we're talking about Enoch and Enoch 103.2. He's reading off the heavenly tablets and the holy books, and he's reading what's written inside of them. And this is while he's spending time in the Garden of Eden before his death. A lot of people might be freaking out right now. Oh my goodness, Sean, I thought Enoch was, was still alive. I thought he says that he did not die. Hebrews 11.5, um, it actually says, so he would not see death. And there's a, but Jubilees and other passages actually explain what did happen to Enoch, as well as the entire narrative of the resurrection. Every man has to die to get his resurrection body, especially when we have two direct statements in the book of Jubilees telling us specifically um, Enoch died and, uh, and, and the when. Actually, that's a video that I'm going to do in the future probably in like a month from now, but um, because we've got a really, really fun next couple of weeks that we're going to be doing uh, some fun milk and meats. And then after that, we may have a special broadcast with a special guest that I've been speaking to and we'll see, we'll see if uh, that happens. But ultimately we'll do the Enoch video and his timeline, whether he's alive or dead, we'll cover that here in about a month or so. But right now he's trying to tell us from the writings of first Enoch that he had read heavenly tablets, holy books, and he's, about to communicate what he what he learned from those. Now, if in here in Enoch 104.13, the next chapter, he says, then I know another mystery, that books will be given to the righteous and the wise to become a cause of joy and uprightness and much wisdom, and to believe them 
and excuse me, and to them shall the books be given, and they shall believe in them and rejoice over them. And then shall all the righteous who have learnt therefrom all the paths of uprightness be recompensed, meaning they're going to be rewarded for the righteousness they've learned from those books. So we're going to go over this concept. This is our, our opening preface, our, our introduction to the whole concept. We're going to dig into it much deeper. It's way beyond just these two passages. Let's look at Jubilees 21, 1 through 5. And it says, In the sixth year of the seventh week of this Jubilee, Abraham called Isaac his son and commanded him, saying, I am become old and know not the day of my death, and I am full of days. And behold, I'm 175 years old, and throughout all the days of my life, I've remembered the Lord and sought with all my heart to do his will and to walk uprightly in all his ways. My soul has hated the idols, and I've despised those that serve them. And I've given my heart and spirit that I might observe to do the will of him who created me. For he is the living God. He is the holy and faithful. And he is righteous beyond all. And there is with him no accepting of men's persons and no accepting of gifts. For God is righteous and executeth judgment on all those who transgress his commandments and despise his covenant. And to you, my son, observe his commandments and his ordinances and his judgments. Walk not after the abominations and after the graven images and after the molten images. This is Abraham speaking to Isaac, as we just talked about. Okay. So let's look at this. What does he say at the very beginning? Abraham, I've remembered the Lord and sought with all my heart to do his will, to walk uprightly in his ways. Jubilees 21.2. We get a wonderful definition of what he's talking about that corroborates what Abraham is talking about here in Psalm 119.1-3. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their hearts. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. This, as we've tried to explain in Torah apologetics, this is an actual explanation of when we walk in the commandments, this is where we are considered righteous in the sight of God, considered blameless to a degree. And this is where we are seeking him with all of our heart, right? When Yeshua says, you know, the, all, the, all the prophets and the, the commandments and the prophets hang on these two, one of them being Deuteronomy, uh, I think it's Deuteronomy uh, 6.5 that we should love the, Lord, love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Psalm 119, 1 through 3 is telling you a direct correlation between keeping his ways, which are his testimonies, some translations say his commandments, keeping his Torah, right, in the Hebrew, keeping his ways, that's his behavior, right? Remember, he says, my ways are higher than your ways. His ways are his behaviors. So the Father, when he gives this instruction, this Torah, this testimonies, when he gives these ways to mankind to practice these and do these, he's saying, this is my behavior. I want you to practice these. Leviticus 18.5. Practice my statutes and judgments and my commandments. Here's in Jubilees 21.2, Abraham saying, I've done this in my life, Isaac, and I want you to do the same. So he's teaching his son, practice the ways of the father. This is the admonition to all of us through Yeshua, John 14, right, that we would behave as he behaved, just like he tells us in John 15, 8 through 11, that this is how we have joy in this lifetime, that we would do the commandments of the Father, just like Yeshua did the commandments of the Father. Genesis 26, 5, uh, corroboration from additional book, and this is because Abraham obeyed me, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And as we've talked about in previous weeks, guys, I did my context video a few weeks ago. Go see it on my recent playlist. It's how to find context in scripture. I've got the little icon in purple up at the top right-hand corner of this slide. I, I find context of knowing what are the ways of the Father and what does it mean that he remembered the Lord and sought him with all of his heart. Well, I compared those ideas in other books, and this is where we come to a 
working definition of those terms. This is a way to find context when you're reading scripture. Second Ezra 3, 5, okay? We just, we prefaced Abraham. We're going to get back to Abraham, okay? But let's look at Adam, all right? So now that we understand what his ways are and what the commandments are, and we have that directly correlated with Abraham's statement in Psalm 119 and Genesis and John, and John chapter 15 and 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through, 3 through 6, let's look at 2 Ezra 3, 5 through 8, where it tells us that Adam also was commissioned to know the Father's ways. And it says, And you gave a body unto Adam without soul, which was the workmanship of your hands, and did breathe into him the breath of life, and he was made living before you. And you led him into paradise, that's the Garden of Eden, which your right hand had planted before ever the earth came forth. And unto him you gave commandment to love your way, which he had transgressed. And immediately you appointed death in him and his generations, of whom came nations, tribes, peoples, and kindreds out of number. And every people walked after their own will and did wonderful things before you and despised your commandments. So we have a direct contrast in this passage that Adam was given commandment to love the Father's ways, to do the Father's ways. Let's look at examples of that here in Jubilees chapter 3, 8 through 10. It says, in the first week, Adam was created and the rib his wife. In the second week, he showed her unto him. And for this reason, the commandment was given to keep in their defilement for a male seven days and for a female twice seven days. And after Adam had completed 40 days in the land where he'd been created, we brought him into the Garden of Eden to kill, to till it, to keep it. But his wife, they brought in on the 80th day. And after this, she entered into the Garden of Eden. So just real quick, guys, in case you're not familiar, this is why in Genesis 3.24, it says that Adam and Eve were taken out of the garden and taken back to the land of their creation once they transgressed. They were not created inside the garden. The garden was a specific place. It's the kingdom of God that was down on the earth at that time. He was created outside of it, taken into it after 40 days. Eve was taken into it after 80 days. Why? What's the purpose of this? This is the, the instructions of the Father for sanctification after babies are born. We see this in Leviticus 12. This is straight from Torah. And this is being done literally in the first week. This is being enacted. Just like, you know, just like Exodus 20 verse 4 is about um, the Sabbath. And we see in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, that the father kept Sabbath in the first week. Well, guess what? He's also keeping all of his Torah from the moment of all creation. Before that, in my opinion, but as far as creating things and interacting with other things, there was always a standard by which he was living and abiding by. And everything he created was expected and encouraged and instructed. It's called Torah. And he's given instructions to abide by that same standard from the moment of their creation. So the moment Adam's created, he is being forced to abide by a standard of Torah for sanctification, which is 40 days. And then he's brought into the land of the Garden of Eden. And why? Why was he? Why did he have to wait? Well, it's because there's a sanctuary inside the Garden of Eden. We're going to go over that in just a minute, okay? I'll keep reading the passage. It says, and for this reason, the commandment is written on the heavenly tablets in regard to her that gives birth. If she bears a male, what did it just say, guys, is written on the heavenly tablets. So this instruction that we find in Leviticus chapter 12 is written already way before Moses' day. It's written in heaven. That means everyone can read it who lives up in heaven, right? <laughs> on all the different levels of the firmament, this was the command for anyone that was born upon the earth and in regards to cleanliness for them before they can enter into the area of a sanctuary. So we have 
this commandment being directly spoken as being written in heaven already. If she bears a male, she shall remain in her uncleanness seven days according to the first week of days. And 30 and three days, she shall remain in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch any hallowed thing nor enter into the sanctuary. And like I, like I said, the reason why they weren't brought into the Garden of Eden is because there was a sanctuary in there. We're going to go over the scriptures soon. Until she accomplishes these days, which are enjoined in the case of a male child. The word enjoined just means they're instructed to uh, in the case of a male child. So here we have right off the bat, Adam and Eve being created and following the commandments of God, which as we already defined are his ways. They're following his ways and they're, they have to before they can get to the father's house, the Garden of Eden. The rest, a few verses down, we read in 11 through 15, but in the case of a female child, she shall remain in her uncleanness two weeks of days, according to the first two weeks and 66 days in the blood of her purification. They will be in all 80 days. And when she has completed these 80 days, we brought her into the Garden of Eden for it is holier than all the earth besides and every tree that is planted in it is holy. So now it's literally telling you the place where they were taken is set apart. Therefore, there were there were there was ordained regarding her who bears a male or a female child, the statute of those days that she should touch no hallowed thing, nor enter into the sanctuary until these days for the male or female child are accomplished. This is the law and testimony, which was written down for Israel in order that they should observe it all the days. And in the first week of the first Jubilee, Adam and his wife were in the Garden of Eden for seven years, telling and keeping it. And we gave him work and we instructed him to do everything that is suitable for tillage. So guys, even though I didn't quite, I didn't highlight that last verse, think about what you're reading here. The, now we've discussed this three or four weeks ago in our angel series. The we, the plural pronoun in here of we, it says we gave him work and we instructed him to do everything that's suitable for tillage. That's the angels speaking. The angels are narrating jubilees. We're going to go over that narration concept at the very last of this presentation, okay? The angels are celebrating, are instructing Adam and Eve while they're there on what to do and how to live. Um, because they're, Adam and Eve are flesh. The Father is spirit, and we're told in Exodus 33 that no one can see the Father and live. Excuse me, Exodus 32, no one can see the Father and live. That's why even Moses, you know, just saw the backside and just, you know, was, he didn't get to see the Father's face fully in his fleshly body, else he would, lest he would die, right? So there's a reason with pure holiness of the Father cannot be in the same presence of flesh that's corrupted because that's where you get death. That's where the, those two are incompatible. They don't mix, right? So one will, one will lose that encounter, and that's those who are made of flesh. So this is why the guardians in the Garden of Eden were the angels. This is why there's an angel stationed, a cherubim, stationed at the outset of the garden so Adam and Eve can't get back in because they were already in there with the angels. This is why when Enoch is taken into the garden, which we'll read about later, and he's interacting with angels for 300 years, their angels are already in there <laughs> because this is the kingdom of God, literally the kingdom of God that was down on the ground that Adam and Eve had special privilege to be in as long as they participated in obeying the father's ways and to love his ways. But the moment they transgressed, they're kicked out. So this is where we have this interaction, okay? There's a sanctuary there. There's commandments being followed. There's the Torah being implemented and followed right off the bat. And Adam and Eve are being taught how to till the ground by the angels. So fun question for everyone in the chat. Do you think that the angels were teaching Adam how to observe the Levitical land laws of Leviticus 25? Do you think he was teaching them, well, this tree just got planted. So, or if you plant it, cause he was there for seven years, right? 
So you think that he planted any trees and he had to wait till the fourth or fifth year before it could give its fruit, like you read in Leviticus law? Do you, I would say yes. Do you think that, that the seventh year they didn't plant anything? Let the ground grow on its own, right? That understanding what's suitable for tillage. Do you think that they instructed them not to cross-pollinate certain seeds? Do you think they instructed them on all the different agricultural instructions we see from the Leviticus pertaining to how they were to till the ground within the garden? I think they were. And we, we actually see later on in this chapter that they put back the residue that they were receiving from the harvest of the crops um, as they were doing this stuff. I, I didn't have time to read the whole chapter tonight because we're going to go over many other books, but this whole idea is that they were learning Torah straight from the get-go, guys. Agricultural, moral worship, right? Because we also see later as they get out, they already know how to do sacrifices. They already know how to do first fruits offerings, which is to bring the produce of the ground. That's Numbers 18. They already know how to do priestly eating, eating of the priestly portion. It's also Numbers 18. So we, we see this beautiful, um, consistent pattern of understanding that Adam already had right from the get-go because he was taught it literally by the angels for seven years. You think you could learn everything you needed to know if you're hanging out with some angels for seven years? I think so. Jubilees chapter 327, he says, and on that day in which Adam went forth from the garden, this is after they've transgressed and they're, they're going to have to be expelled. They're getting their eviction notice. On that day in which Adam went forth from the garden, he offered as a sweet savor an offering frankincense, galvanum, and stactian spices in the morning with the rising of the sun from the day when he covered his shame. Why would he be able to offer this before he left the garden? Because there's a sanctuary in there, guys. Just like we see in the New Jerusalem coming back down, Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48, there's a sanctuary in there. It's actually chapters 40 through 43. And guys, for a lot of you may be thinking right now, but wait, Sean, if you haven't followed us for too long in this channel, you're thinking, wait, Sean, I thought Revelation 21, 22 says there's no temple in New Jerusalem. Again, that word in the Greek temple in that Revelation 21 passage is the word for shrine, and it's specifically referring to the Holy of Holies, because that's an empty room where the Ark of the Seat of the Covenant was. But in the New Jerusalem, the temple, the place where the Father puts his feet, Ezekiel 37 and Ezekiel 43, that's going to literally be where he's sitting. Right? He, it won't be empty anymore. It won't be a shrine, which is an empty representation. It will be filled with the Father and the Son, which is why it directly says that in Revelation 21, 22, and 23. So um, there is a temple in there. It's just not specifically an empty room. It's, it's, a, it's a poor English translation. We've covered it in great depth. I even have an entire morning cup of context. If you want to go research that later after this video, it's called No Temple in the New Jerusalem? Question mark. And you can find it on my playlists, morning cup of context. I go into that, into the Greek in, in great detail. So Adam, before he leaves the garden, he's going to use that sanctuary that's in the garden. He's going to actually offer an offering. Who, how does he know how to do an offering? Guys, this is the Torah. This is the Father's ways that he gave to mankind to practice, just like the angels do in heaven. Genesis 4, 3, and 5. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the first things of his flock and of their fat portions, the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. So without getting into the implications of this story, what are we looking at? What's highlighted in the yellow? Both of these boys knew how to bring an offering. Now, let's, you know, yes, Cain's was not accepted. I say look to the Septuagint for verse 7 and 8, so you'll see that it wasn't accepted specifically because he wasn't bringing the full portion thereof like he was supposed to, according to the first roots um, to bring the 10th. He didn't bring it enough, but that's a totally different conversation. I just want you to focus on the idea that both of them knew what to do in the course of time. 
meaning that that's a phrase to turn to explain to you that it was time. <laughs> it was time for this. Well, there's times when you bring forward first fruits according to the Father's ways, according to his commandments. And this is why it's called an offering. And this is why both of them, according to what they did, their, their vocation, so to speak, they're bringing forth the different, um, they're bringing forth uh, what applies to them, basically, right? So for Abel, he what applies to him is the flocks. That's what he cared for. To Cain, he, he was brought the fruit of the ground up through farming. He was to bring his first fruits of that. That's why it's called an offering. And they're taught that by someone who knew it. Who would that be? Logical deduction, it's Adam. Same thing with who's the priest that's eating the portion for which they're bringing forward, which is part of this commandment. It's Adam is usually the head of the, of the household back in those days with both your elder and your high priest to make atonement for your family and to mediate and to be the person to whom would eat the priestly portion of these commandments. So this we're watching Torah. Have, we're watching the commandments being fulfilled right here, guys. They were taught it from their father who was taught it by the angels because the angels followed this same stuff in heaven, this same instruction. And we're going to get to the actual, this, we're going to get to some of the verses later. Let's talk about this, but this is what Enoch was mentioning in his first few in, in Enoch 103, where he says, I saw the heavenly tablets. I read the holy books. So they have the same information that we have, and it's been given to mankind. We're going to continue to show you that first Enoch five, four back to back to Enoch, right? So we got Adam and Eve, we got Cain and Abel. Now we move forward a few hundred years. We got Enoch again talking about, but ye, ye have not been steadfast, nor done the commandments of the Lord, but you have turned away and spoken proud and hard words with your impure mouths against his greatness. Oh, you hard hearted, you shall find no peace. Here he is chastising as any prophet would the lawless people of his day who are not doing the ways of the father, which is called the commandments of the Lord. This is in Enoch 5.4. Genesis 3.24, Enoch walked with God. He was not, for God took him. Where did he take him? Into the garden. Jubilees 4, 21-25. And he was moreover with the angels of God these six jubilees of years. And they showed him everything which was on the earth and in the heavens. The rule of the sun, he wrote down everything. He testified to the watchers who had sinned with the daughters of men, for these had begun to unite themselves so as to be defiled with the daughters of men. Enoch testified against them all. He was taken from amongst the children of men, and we conducted him into the garden of Eden in majesty. Guys, think about this for a second. If you ever wondered, where did God take him? Into the Garden of Eden. He can't take him above the firmament because he doesn't have a body for that. This is what we tried to explain in great detail um, in our angelic series just three or four weeks ago. So please go, go back and check that out. We talk about what kind of bodies angels have that allow them to live forever. This is the type of body that we're promised at the resurrection where we're made into a new creation. This idea here is that Enoch didn't have that resurrection body yet. He's still born of the flesh, born of a woman, born in flesh. But this Garden of Eden is still on the ground because that's why it's being guarded, right? And Adam, who was born of a flesh, got to get in that garden as long as he obeyed the instructions of the Father. Enoch was conducted into that garden because he was faithful in obeying those instructions to the point where he's considered a prophet. He's considered a preacher. He's, he's testifying against others. He's also... Um, um, being shown the secrets of heaven and being shown the, and talking about the commandments of the Lord. So this is someone that has excelled in his life of doing the ways of the father, just like we read in Jubilees 21 about Abraham. And as a result of this, for a specific reason, it's going to tell you right here that he was brought into the garden and that's where those angels were that he hung out with for 300 years. 
So let's let's uh, look at this real quick. And he says, he was taken from amongst the children of men and we conducted him into the Garden of Eden in majesty and honor. And behold, there he writes down the condemnation and judgment of the world and all the wickedness of the children of men. And on account of it, God brought the waters of the flood upon all the land of Eden. For there he was set as a sign that he should testify against all the children of men, that he should recount all the deeds of the generations until the day of condemnation. By the way, guys, that day of condemnation is talking about the flood. That's a different topic. We'll go over it next month when we talk about Enoch. And he burnt the incense of the sanctuary, even sweet spices acceptable before the Lord on the mount. He's using that sanctuary that Adam used. Here it is. This is, this is, that's what would you would do if you're doing the commandments of God, right? You remember in Leviticus 28, 29, 30, you have Aaron, the high priest, talking about burning the spice and the incense of the sanctuary. This side of his sons would bring forth the incense of the sanctuary. And then I think Leviticus chapter 9, Nadab and Abihu brought forward strange fire, which is not proper what they were supposed to bring forward. Now, that was in the copy of the shadow and the, 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 the Hebrews 8, chapter 1 through 5 explains to us the shadow of the tabernacle. But there is a sanctuary in the, uh, in the Garden of Eden that was be able to be used. And this is the one that Enoch was using in his moments. So we have in Genesis 3.24, Enoch dwelt with God and was not, for God took him. And then 1 John 2, 3 through 6, what does it mean that Enoch walked with God? Okay, so look in the top right-hand corner. We have some of our context bubbles to help us figure out how do we find context when we read words like Enoch walked with God? What does that mean, right? We got to determine if it's a figure of speech. And also, did we find the definition of these words? So in 1 John 2, 3 through 6, we can also see these same terms and words being expounded to us just like we've looked at Psalm 119, we see it again here. By this, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been truly perfected. By this, we know that we're in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. Now, First John, this passage here is referring to Yeshua. But again, that, it's part and parcel of the same thing. Yeshua and the Father, this, their behavior is exactly the same. What did John, uh, Yeshua tell us in, in John 7? I think it's um, 742. He's like, I, my doctrine is not my own. Everything I do and say is from the Father. This is what, if Enoch walked with God, for he was not, for God took him. If we want to take a literal, like a, our traditional um, uh, American culture rendering of the word God here, and say it was the Almighty, it was Yahweh that took him. We know that Yahweh commanded him to be brought into the garden to abide with the angels for 30, 300 years. But if we look at the literal definition of the word Elohim, which is the word for God used generically in English, you could easily read it to say, and Enoch walked with Elohim, which are the angels, right? Little g, Elohim. So for he was not for God took him. Remember the translators who wrote the passages decided to, to capitalize stuff. But if the, if the Hebrew word literally just means Elohim, you could read it either way. It still works either way. Yes, the Father is the one who told the angels to bring him into the garden and to abide with them to show them the secrets of heaven and give him prophecy and all this stuff. But at the same time, Elohim took him in and he walked with Elohim, but he also walked with God in the sense of his obedience. That's the whole reason he was chosen to get in there. And we know from 1 John and Psalm 19 and uh, everything Yeshua talked about, the only way to do that is to do the behavior of the Father. That's how you're walking with the Father. So again, this is all, it's all in the same, um, the same context of application, okay? So let's look further on in Jubilees 21. We're going to go back to Abraham, okay? So we, we looked at Adam, Cain and Abel, Enoch. 
So we're going to go up a few more and let's look at Abraham as we continue to talk about what he's saying here. He says, I've given my heart and my spirit that I might observe to do the will of him who created me. Well, guys, if you haven't seen this already, I just want to encourage you that um, go check out this morning cup of context under my playlists, morning cup of context, God's will for you. It, um, I think it's only got like three or four hundred views. It was one of my first videos I put up like two and a half years ago. And if you've never seen this before, I literally show you the scriptures. If you want to know what God's will for you is, just like Abraham, Abraham's talking about him doing the will of him who created him. Well, I go over the scriptures to show you what that is for you too. Very simple. So we go on. All right, let's continue reading Jubilees 21, 6 through 10 now. And he says, and eat no blood at all of the animals or cattle or of any bird which flies in the heaven. And if you do slay a victim as an acceptable peace offering, slay ye it and pour out its blood upon the altar and all the fat of the offering offer on the altar with fine flour and the meat offered mingled with oil. With this drink offering, offer them all together on their altar of burnt offering. It's a sweet savor before the Lord. And thou, excuse me, and thou will offer the fat of the sacrifice of thanksgiving offerings on the fire, which is upon the altar and the fat, which is on the belly and all the fat on the inwards and the two kidneys and all the fat that's on them and upon the loins and livers you shall remove together with the kidneys. Offer all these for a sweet savor acceptable for the Lord with its meat offering, with its drink offering for a sweet savor, the bread of the offering unto the Lord and eat its meat on the day on the second day, excuse me, eat its meat on that day and on the second day and let not the sun on the second day go down upon it until it is eaten and let nothing be left over for the third day for it's not acceptable and let it not be eaten and let it no longer be eaten. And all who eat thereof will bring sin upon themselves for thus I have found it written in the books of my father, my forefathers, and in the words of Enoch, and in the words of Noah. So here's Abraham talking to Isaac and telling him literally everything we read in <laughs> about burnt offerings and Thanksgiving offerings and bread offerings and uh, meat offerings and drink offerings. And he's telling him these concepts that we get greater detail in Leviticus chapter uh, 1 through 7. And he's, he's explaining this stuff to his son. And he says he eats no blood. That's, I mean, that's Leviticus 17, 10 through 14 and Genesis 9, 4. And th this is why he can say at the bottom, I've found it written in the books of my forefathers and in the words of Enoch and the words of Noah. So now we're, mentioned, we're, we're throwing Noah into the mix that has the same information, right? Let's look real quick. Julius 21, 6, for example, and this is again, a, a point of context. If you want to dig in, you want to say, well, we'll compare in other books where we're seeing things like this. Eat no blood of all the animals or cattle or any bird which flies in the heaven. Jubilees 21.6. We see that same thing in Leviticus 17.10. And any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. Also in Genesis 9.4, you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And this is Noah in Genesis 9.4 getting right off the boat, okay, right after the flood. So we see that everything in the yellow here is Torah 100%, Leviticus chapter 1 through 7, Genesis 9, 4. Uh, I mean, it's all right there. Leviticus 17, and Abraham's saying he read it from the words of Enoch and the words of Noah. So Jubilees 21, 6 through 10 is literally detailed in Leviticus. It's amazing, guys. Um, and he's trying to emphatically share with Isaac that this is information that was passed down to him. When did this information get passed down to him? Let's look at that real quick. Jubilees chapter 12, 25 through 28. And since we're still in Jubilees, remember, we were just in Jubilees 21. Now we're in Jubilees 12. So this is where 
um, I found point of context and I put the, the context, you know, bubble up there to show you this is compare use in other chapters. Again, if you haven't seen that video, go back and check how to find 10 ways to find context in scripture. And I have 10 different bubbles on how you can find context in scripture to give you clarity. And that I'll be referencing those bubbles in future videos as we go forward to help you see how I came to these conclusions and understandings. And then you can do the stuff on your own. Jubilees 12, nine chapters before Jubilees 21, we have him saying, this is talking about Abraham's experience. And he says, the Lord God said, open his mouth and his ears that he may hear and speak with his mouth, with the language which has been revealed. For it has ceased from the mouths of all the children of men from the day of the overthrow. That's the Tower of Babel. And I opened his mouth. And this is the angel talking. Remember, the angel is the one narrating Jubilees, the whole book of Jubilees. It's literally the angel that goes before them in Exodus. So he says, and I opened his mouth and his ears and his lips, and I began to speak with him in Hebrew in the tongue of creation. So guys, if you ever wondered what Adam and Eve spoke in the garden, it's Hebrew. You ever wondered what the whole populace of mankind spoke before the Tower of Babel? It's Hebrew. And he says, and he took the books of his fathers. That's he, Abraham. He took the books of his fathers. That's what he was just talking about when in his conversation with Isaac. That's where he learned it. And these are written in Hebrew. That means the books of Noah and the books of Enoch, they're written in Hebrew. Guys, you, you may remember a few weeks ago, I did an entire video on the the timeline of the writings of First Enoch that we have preserved for us today and the different manuscripts that are compiled to make First Enoch. And you may have remember about 45 minutes into that video, I'm explaining to you how some of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found with multiple scrolls of Enoch, partial fragments, it wasn't a lot, but it was some partial fragments were found in Paleo-Hebrew of the writings of Enoch. That's amazing, guys. So here's, here's Jubilees. Here's a book that supposedly was written at Mount Sinai and, uh, and even in modern scholarship, it, it dates back. I mean, they've found artifacts that correlate with Jubilees all the way back to the 7th century BCE. You've got incredible wealth of correlation between Abraham talking about Hebrew being the language of Enoch and reading the writings of Enoch in the book of Jubilees. And this is being communicated to Moses on Mount Sinai. So it's, it's given a correlation, right? What did we read earlier? Where did Enoch get this information? He read it on heavenly tablets. He read it on the things that hold information for other people to read in heaven, the heavenly tablets, the holy books. So it says, uh, and he began from therefore, or for henceforth, to study them, and I made known to him that which he could not understand. So that means the angel is helping Abraham read and understand, not just in a new language that he miraculously enabled him to, to know. Because remember, Abraham grew up under Terah. Terah was chief automaker for Nimrod. Look at Jubilees chapter 8, and you see that he's grown up in Chaldea, which is in the area of Samaria, and you've got an entire, like, that. They, that's after the Tower of Babel. So they're speaking a different language. That's why he had to be taught Hebrew again. And he starts to read Enoch and the words of Noah, and the angel's helping him understand stuff he doesn't, he doesn't get. It's amazing. And he says he studied them during the six rainy months. And it came to pass in the seventh year of the sixth week that he spoke to his father and informed him that he would leave Haran to go into the land of Canaan to see it and return to him. So this is him starting his stepping out in faith of uh, following what God wants him to do. Because remember, Terah was um, working for the enemy. He was like the high priest of Nimrod at that time. So this is, a, this is a big deal. This is a huge moment of faith, which is which is why Abraham is revered so much. So this is why we see him telling Isaac that he's reading the words of Noah and Enoch. And again, I, here's just in case you haven't seen this, guys, I go over the history of the scrolls that we have that compiles first Enoch. And I do a whole timeline breakdown. If you haven't seen this video, check it out on my playlists. 
Um, it's in my recent videos as well. And I go over that in great depth. So that might help you catch up to speed if you haven't seen that. Here in 1st Enoch 106, 18 through 19, Enoch says, and now make known to your son Lamech that he who has been born is in truth his son and call his name Noah. So guys, real quick, we got four generations being mentioned here. And it says, now make known to your son. This is Enoch talking to Methuselah to tell his son Lamech that his son Noah is his son, right? And that he knows prophecy about Noah. So this is Enoch talking to Methuselah talking to Lamech or telling him to give a message to Lamech about Noah. And I'm going to cover that in a month from now to, because many of you who study scripture may be thinking, wait, how is, how is Enoch still alive when Noah was born? I'll show you on a timeline. Um, so we'll, we'll go over that in about a month or so. But the point is he's telling him because he read this information on the heavenly tablets, this prophecy, what do we already looked at? Right guys, we already looked at Enoch talking about the commandments where he looked at Enoch knowing how to do sacrifices, burning incense on the sanctuary. Because he's so faithful in doing the commandments, he gets to go hang out with the angels and get all this prophecy about the future and read the holy books. Just like we see that same mixture of instructions for living and prophecy about the future, which is many times apocalyptic about the return of the Lord, that's mixed together in all the other books of the Bible, right? Same thing with Enoch back in the day. So it says, and now make known to your son Lamech that he who has been born is in truth his son and call his name Noah, for he shall be left to you. And he and his son shall be saved from the destruction, which shall come upon the earth on account of all the sin and all the unrighteousness, which shall be consummated on the earth in his days. And after that, there shall be still more unrighteousness, that which was first consummated on the earth. For I know the mysteries of the holy ones, for he, the Lord, has showed me and informed me, and I've read them in the heavenly tablets. There he is. He's just talking about it again. He's seen future events. Um, and he's re recording them and he knows them. He's received that instruction from things that were written in heaven already. So the full verse in Psalm or in first Enoch 103, two and three says, I know a mystery. have read the heavenly tablets. I've seen the holy books and I've written that found written therein and inscribed regarding them that all goodness and joy and glory are prepared for them and written down for the spirits of those who died in righteousness, that manifold good shall be given to you in recompense for your labors and that your lot is abundantly beyond the lot of the living. Amen. Amen, right? This is amazing. This is the promise of the gospel of the kingdom, resurrection back into the garden that's been made into the New Jerusalem. You get to live in the Father's house with him and the, and the Son and the angels. It's good, right? It's very, very good. Jubilee 720, because what, what did he not just talk about, right? He's instructing Methuselah, who's instructing Lamech, who's talking about Noah. What did Abraham say? That he read the words of Enoch and Noah. So let's go what Noah's doing. Right off the boat, Jubilees chapter 7, verse 20. In the 28th Jubilee, Noah began to enjoin, that's to teach with fervency. He began to enjoin upon his sons, sons, that's his grandchildren, the ordinances and commandments and all the judgments that he knew. And he exer exhorted his sons to observe righteousness and to cover the shame of their flesh and to bless their creator and to honor father and mother and to love their neighbor and to guard their souls from fornication and uncleanness and all iniquity. So just in case you think he's teaching them something different, it expounds to give you commandments directly from Leviticus and Exodus, right? And Deuteronomy. It's, it's amazing. He, he knew this, this is the, the ordinances, the commandments and the judgments that he knew. And the reason why he says it like that is because later on in Jubilee 33, an angel explains to Moses that there were specific commandments for certain circumstantial situations that were not given until Sinai. But the ones that, that he knew, the general gist, right, of how to do a sacrifice, that's why Noah is doing a sacrifice in Genesis chapter eight. He knows how to do this stuff 
just like in Jubilees chapter six, he's doing the Shavuot. It says they kept Shavuot in creation, uh, since creation in heaven. The angels keep Shavuot. That's Pentecost. That's what's coming up here in a few weeks, right? So they're already keeping the commandments, the behaviors, the ways of, of the Father, and all this stuff is written down up there. That's how they're teaching it to mankind. And we're getting that taught to mankind and passed down over time. So it's to me, this it's no no accident whatsoever whatsoever that Jubilees is um, uh, try the, the rabbinical Judaism of today, they try to ignore the book of Jubilees because it goes against their teachings that they think Moses was the first person given the, the Torah from heaven and that everyone before them just had the oral Torah, right? They think that they didn't have actual books and nothing was passed on. That's a, that is a lie from Judaism, guys. You know, you remember the same philosophy and theological, um, uh, you know, the, theological inaccuracy of the, of the same people group that, uh, slandered our messiah and killed him and persecuted all the all the apostles after him yeah that group that ideology that false religion they also want to ignore the book of jubilees because it goes against their teachings that um it, there was oral torah before mount sinai and mount sinai was the first time it was written down to give to mankind that is not true guys so we've got lots of great examples here given to us already just to again fervently help us understand why these guys are doing what they're doing and as I've said, maybe just one other time in a public video, I've talked about this in great detail in our, in our teachings that we do, that our courses that we offered in the past, but Genesis in general, that genealogy that you're watching from Adam followed all the way down to Jacob in Genesis 50, which leads off into to Levi, which then picks up with Moses in Exodus. That whole thing is following the priesthood. Those are people that knew the commandments of God and were doing the commandments of God faithfully and were being honored by the Father so the main characters in all the chapters in Genesis, it's following the priesthood. Um, that's why we have in the mix, even when other characters are brought in for circumstantial story plots like Joseph's story, Jacob's still in the backdrop of that character because he is the one that we're going to read later. He's given, um, he is under the priesthood of Levi. So that's why Levi and his sons and all, them other, all the other boys uh, travel with Jacob down to, to uh, Goshen under the rule of Joseph. So that's giving you all that context of why they even go to Egypt during that time. But overall, the overarching, uh, one of the overarching themes of Genesis is it's following the patriarchal priesthood. To be a priest of the Father, just like this verse says on the screen, you have to observe righteousness. What does Deuteronomy 6.25 tell us, right? If we do all the things that the Father is telling us, his commandments, his statutes, ordinances, it will be righteousness for us. So this is why and all those statutes, commandments, and everything. We have examples like Noah is teaching his grandsons and sons right off the boat, cover the shame of your flesh, love your neighbor, honor your mother and father, so you honor your father and mother, um, guard your souls from fornication, uncleanness, and all iniquity, right? So this is, this is him passing on that same knowledge that he received from Lamech, who received it from Methuselah, who received it from Enoch. And I would say even further back, but we don't have a lot. I mean, we even have, in, I think it's in Enoch chapter 84, I think it's um, Enoch is, is a young boy and he's sleeping in his grandfather's house, which is my one of my favorite names in the Bible, Mahalalalalel, right? It's like, it's just a fun word to say. So that means he's being raised to observe the commandments of God from Mahalalel. So now we're getting deep, guys. We're getting right, right back close to Adam almost. 
So the point is you can see a pattern if you know the definitions of words, you can see how this behavior uh, is just being passed down. And these are the faithful remnant while the rest of the world's going crazy, killing each other and creating Nephilims and hybrid chimeras. And, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like while they're being uh, uh, under the, the reign of the Titans and all, you know, there's mass chaos and death all around them. So this is a faithful remnant all throughout that. Let's keep going real quick, guys. We've got uh, Testament of Levi, right? It says, and Isaac called me Levi continually. So this is, now we've got an, an, an idea of Levi, son of Jacob, talking about his granddad, Isaac. While we were reading in Jubilees 21 about Abraham, that he was telling Isaac this stuff. Do my behavior. I did all this behavior. I want you to do this behavior too, Isaac. And now Isaac is going to be showing some of this stuff to Levi, his grandson. He already showed it to Jacob. We already see that in different parts of Jubilees that Jacob already learned the writings and now took on the priesthood. But now Levi is about to be appointed. So it says here in Testament of Levi 9, 6, and Isaac called me, speaking of Levi, continually to put me in the remembrance of the law of the Lord, even as the angel of the Lord showed unto me. And that's, we don't have time to go into all that, but that's uh, further on in Jubilees chapter 31, 32. Also in the rest of the Testament of Levi, Levi himself has visitations of the father and he is called, um, you know, to, to do the law of the Lord of the priesthood. And he is being reminded and encouraged and instructed and trained and discipled, if you will, by both his father, Jacob and Isaac. So we're seeing another clear connection being passed down. And he taught me the law of the priesthood of sacrifices, whole burnt offerings, first fruits, free will offerings, peace offerings. Guys, this is Leviticus and Numbers. This is just like all of it. He's just giving a quick summation. This is way before Mount Sinai. This is hundreds of years before Mount Sinai. That's why we talk about on Kingdom of Context and many different episodes of Kingdom Portions and other videos, we've talked about how in Exodus 19, before God starts speaking, and they're all at the base of the mountain, out in the wilderness at, Sinai, at the base of Mount Sinai, the whole congregation of Israel that just came out of the Exodus, God is about to speak and he tells Moses to get the people ready. And when they get ready, don't come near the mountain. And also have the priests not come near the mountain, right? So have everybody stand back. There's already priests there. They're the descendants of Levi from hundreds of years earlier or, or hundreds of years after Levi in the huge congregation of the, you know, two plus million people coming out of the Exodus. There's, they're, already, they're already doing the law of the Lord. So they're about to be reaffirmed with a new wicked generation that's coming out of the Exodus that had too much Egypt in them. You see what I mean? That's why this stuff happens at Shavuot. Shavuot is like, according to Jubilee 6, it's like the, the re-upping of the covenant every year. So this is the covenant that we read earlier, right? That those that like in Enoch, it says those people that despised his covenant. So this is that same covenant. It's that re-upping every year. It's this Pentecost idea, this Shavuot idea. It's usually, it's an appointed time that we see fun things happen in scriptures as a result of this. And all of Mount Sinai moment is happening in and around Pentecost. Uh, because he's re-upping the covenant with this huge new congregation, all these descendants of Jacob that have come out, and he's re-upping the covenant with them. But they already had priests in there doing that. This is how Aaron and Moses were even chosen. They're both part of the Levitical um, line from Levi. So this is not this is not just um, a new event that's never happened before. This is a re-upping because now he's not just dealing with 70 people or just the families of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. And now he's dealing with an entire huge congregation, a nation. So he has to re-up the covenant with them. Um, 
And he's given them all the explicit details of the tabernacle, the copy they were to make on the ground to minister within. And why does that matter? Why am I even mentioning this? Am I just talking too many details? No, it's going to matter in a minute because we're going to see Jacob, like, like the title of the, of, the, of the episode tonight, we're going to see Jacob also sees that same pattern and he tries to make it and the, and the father tells him, hang on. So let me, let me, uh, let me get there in here and just right here. It says, Jubilees 32, 15 through 18. And this is about Jacob. Okay. It says, and all the tithes of the oxen and sheep shall be holy unto the Lord and shall belong to his priests, which they shall eat before him from year to year. For thus it's ordained and engraven regarding the tithe on the heavenly tablets. There it is again. Right. So we're talking about the tithe now. It's already being explained in heaven. It's already written on the heavenly tablets. And on the following night, on the 22nd day of this month, Jacob resolved to build that place and to surround the court with a wall and to sanctify it, make it holy forever that's set apart for himself and his children after him. So without, you know, giving you, again, I'm having to take as much as I can for the sake of time, but I can't read to you just four full chapters. But he's having a vision and this wonderful moment. This is a moment of, of uh, Pentecost. And he's having this, or excuse me, this is actually, um, this moment actually is him in Sukkot, uh, which is appropriate since he just got a vision of the heavenly tabernacle that he now wants to build, which is fascinating. And he thinks, oh, this is amazing. I'll build it here. But it's not time yet. And we're, we're going to go over that in just a minute. And it says, and the Lord appeared to him by night and blessed him and said unto him, your name shall be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Um, excuse me, your name shall not be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And he said unto him again, I am the Lord who created the heaven and the earth. I will increase you and multiply you exceedingly, and kings shall come forth from you. And they shall judge everywhere, everywhere, wherever the foot of the sons of men is trodden. This is the promise of Exodus 19.5, right? That will be turned into a set-apart nation, a nation of kings and priests, as mentioned in Revelation 2. This is where we sit at the resurrection, glorified as judges over the people of the millennial reign right? The, the survivors of the day of the Lord outside the new Jerusalem that will repopulate the earth. Those are the people to whom we'll be ministers as priests and rulers and judges that since that was the role of a priest, according to the father's instructions here in verse 19 through 22, it says, and I will give to your seed all the earth, which is under heaven and they shall judge all the nations according to their desires. I just talked about that. And after that, they shall get possession of the whole earth and inherit it forever. So just in case you wonder what happens after the millennial reign, there it is. And he finished speaking with him, and he went up from him, and Jacob looked till he had descended into heaven. And he saw in a vision of the night, and behold, an angel descended from heaven with seven tablets in his hands. And he gave them to Jacob, and he read them and knew all that was written therein, which would befall him and his sons throughout all the ages. And he showed him all that was written on the tablets and said to him, Do not build this place. Do not make it an eternal sanctuary. Do not dwell here, for this is not the place. So in a vision, he's getting tablets from heaven, and the angel has to make sure he understands what you're reading on these tablets, don't build this. So clearly we know what he's reading on those tablets is a building. He's seen all this kind of, he's going to go on and elaborate what he sees, but uh, it, it, in this part of the vision, he's seen a sanctuary and he gets it in his mind. I want to build it. But the father has to make sure the angel tells him, don't, don't do it. This isn't the place you want to build it. And this isn't because I believe all this happened at Bethel. And, uh, and he's like, and this is not, you know, this is not the time or the place. You're not the person, but you are being shown all these things that are going to transpire in the future, just like Enoch was. So as far as, well, let's just keep finished a couple of these passages. It says, go to the house of Abraham, your father, and dwell with Isaac, your father, until the day of the death of your father. 
verse 23 through 26 of the same chapter. For in Egypt you shall die in peace, and in this land you shall be buried with honor and in the sepulcher of your fathers with Abram and Isaac. So fear not, for you have seen and read it, thus it shall be. Do you write down everything as you've seen and read? And Jacob said, Lord, how can I remember all that I've seen and read? And he said unto him, I will bring all things to your remembrance. And he went up from him, and he woke from his sleep, from his sleep, and he remembered everything which he had read and seen. And he wrote down all the words which he had read and seen. I want that book, right? Where's that book at? <laughs> so this is incredible, guys. We have from all the writings that I mean, we got three characters in Scripture uh, outside of Yeshua that seem to have been given an incredible amount of information. Okay, so we have. Enoch, Jacob, and then Moses. And while Moses got more detailed information, not just the fullness of the Torah of the instructions for living, but he also got the instructions for how to build the tabernacle. We also, you know, it's, it's spoken of that there's prophecy, like we talked about last week, some of it may have been taken out, that there was prophecy about Moses seeing the kingdom of God. But for sure, according to Jubilees and according to Enoch, Enoch and Jacob, not only saw the not only were instructed in the priesthood and the laws of the Lord and the behaviors of the Lord and prophecy about what's to come, but they were also shown the kingdom and the sanctuary within the kingdom that is to come. That's amazing. That's the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's amazing, guys. And I think Moses was too, 100%. I think personally that information has been taken from us. Again, because rabbinical Judaism doesn't want you understanding the gospel of the kingdom of God. They believe in a different story, right? With a different Messiah. They reject Yeshua, who is the epitome of the preacher of the gospel of the kingdom of God, expounding upon it greatly from the law and the prophets and with his own teachings. And they don't want you to understand it because then you would revere Yeshua. You see what I'm saying? So this gospel of the kingdom is also being given to Jacob in this moment right here. It's amazing. Jubilees 32, 1 through 5, as, as I said, um, oh, I'm sorry, guys, I, I think this is... Yes. Give me one second. This is a slight typo. This is like a, I think every week you guys catch me making a typo. That's because I have to make these slides throughout the week and it's, I don't always have a lot of time to proofread them. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right. So let's look at this real quick. Well, I'll, I'll screen share and we're almost done. Okay, so this is Jubilees chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, and it is, we're going to get some explanation on, more explanation about these tablets from heaven and what heaven already has written down. And it came to pass in the first year of the Exodus, the children of Israel out of Egypt in the third month and the 16th day of the month, if any of you guys know what that means, it's Shavuot, that God spoke to Moses saying, come up to me on the mountain, I'll give you the, I'll give to you two tablets of stone of the law and the commandment, which I've written that you may teach them. Moses went up into the mount of God, and the glory of the Lord abode on Mount Sinai, and a cloud overshadowed it six days. He called to Moses on the seventh day out of the midst of the cloud, and the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a flaming fire on top of the mountain. Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights, and God taught him the earlier and the latter history of the division of all the days of the law and of the testimony. So he's not just getting instructions for building the tabernacle. He's not just getting instructions for how to live amongst your neighbors, how to love your neighbor, how to do worship, right? How to understand property rights. Or how not to, you know, what is it, Deuteronomy 24, 1, don't kidnap your brethren, right? All that stuff, right? Not to do it, like all the information we see, Exodus through Deuteronomy, on how to live righteously. He's not just getting that. He's getting more than that. 
is getting God taught him the earlier and the latter history of the division of all the days of the law and the testimony. And he said, incline your heart to every word which I speak to you on this mount and write them in a book. I would like that book. In order that their generations may see how I have not forsaken them for all the evil which have been wrought and transgressed in the covenant, which I established between me and you for their generations this day on Mount Sinai. So here we have it again, information written on tablets from heaven, given down to the earth. It's already information we've already been reading about and we'll read about through the rest of the whole book of Jubilees. This is information they're already following in heaven. That's already been written down since creation began. Jubilees 32, 25 through 28. I'm sorry, guys. It's also Jubilees, uh, Jubilees chapter one. I'll change the I'll change the slide before I upload it to Patreon later. Um, guys, as always, if you want to download these slides, because we're going to go over some other ones before we stop, uh, if you want all this information and these slides, then you always can, can visit us at Patreon, and that's where you can access them to download. Um, Jubilees chapter 1, 25 to 28, and it says, And do you write for yourself all these words which I declare you on this mountain, the first and the last, which shall come to pass in all the divisions of the days, in the law and in the testimony, and in the weeks and the Jubilees unto eternity, until I descend and dwell with them throughout eternity. It's the gospel of the kingdom right there, guys. And he said to the angel of the presence, so the angel that's on the mountain with Moses, God says to the angel, write for Moses from the beginning of the creation till my sanctuary has been built among them for all eternity. He's getting a huge history lesson. You see that information in Jubilees? Uh, do you see that information in uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy? This is why Jubilees is so important. And this is the information that you get in the rest of the book of Jubilees. You get prophecy about what we're going to talk about in verse 28 here. You get prophecy leading all the way up to the dissension of the new Jerusalem in the day of the Lord. But you don't get any of that stuff in Genesis through Deuteronomy. Jubilees should have always been in our, just like it's always been in the Eastern Orthodox Ethiopian Bible. It should have always been in our Bible. It would have given us a much more concise understanding of history in the context that Moses and all the Israelites were working with they had the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this is why Yeshua can be talking to the descendants of Israel about the gospel of the kingdom of God and referencing Moses. And they know, would know what he's talking about. There's a point of understanding there for him to teach by. So we're at a disadvantage because men, men, not the father, but men have purposely left this book out of the collection. So thankfully we still have it, especially, you know, it's always been preserved by the Ethiopians, but it's rediscovered with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, uh, you know, it's wonderful. So he continues to say, he said to the angel of the presence, write for Moses from the beginning of the creation to my sanctuary has been built among them for all eternity. The Lord will appear to the eyes of all and all shall know that I am the God of Israel, the father of all the children of Jacob and the king on Mount Zion for all eternity. And Zion and Jerusalem shall be holy. That's set apart. It shall be set apart. It's, it's just like the Garden of Eden because it is the Garden of Eden returned and enhanced. And the angels of the presence who went before the camp of Israel took the tab tables of the divisions of the years from the time of creation of the law and the testimony of the weeks of the Jubilees, according to the individual years, according to all the number of the Jubilees, according to the individual years, from the day of the new creation, when the heavens and the earth shall be renewed, and all their creation according to the powers of the new heaven. Guys, if you haven't already seen my morning cup of context called New Heaven and New Earth, I talk about exactly what Jubilees is saying, even from the Greek from Revelation 21. It is a renewed heaven and earth. Okay. And I explain that in great detail. Go check out that. It's called new heaven, new earth, morning cup of context, my playlist. And according to all the creation of the earth until the sanctuary of the Lord shall be made in Jerusalem on Mount Zion, on Mount Zion. Guys, this is Ezekiel 37. This is uh, Ezekiel 40 through 43. This is Revelation 21. 
all the luminaries be renewed for healing and for peace and for blessing for all the elect of Israel. Why would the luminaries have to be renewed? Because they're messed up on the day of the Lord. Isaiah 34, 4, Revelation 6, 11 through 14, Matthew 24, 29. The stars are literally falling from the sky. The luminaries have to be renewed for healing and for peace or blessing for all the elect of Israel that it thus may be from that day until all the days of the earth. And we also have this spoken about again in Jubilees 19 with Abraham explaining stuff and prophecy about, over, uh, over Jacob. So real quick as a recap, I know it's already been like a little over an hour. And as always, I try to recap at the end of these so that hopefully just try to bring it home for you. We'll do a quick summary. Okay. Starting from the beginning, Adam and Eve, received, knew, and practiced the creator's ways inside and outside the garden planted in Eden. And we see that exemplified in Jubilees 3, 8 through 10, 11 through 15, and verse 27. Also in 2nd Ezra chapter 3, verse 5 through 8. We have Enoch. He received, knew, and practiced the creator's ways and claimed to have read the holy books from heaven. We see this expounded to us in Enoch 5, 4, Enoch 103, 2, Enoch 106, 18 through 19, and Enoch 108, 6 and 7, and Jubilees 4, 21 through 25. Noah, he received, knew, and practiced the Creator's ways and taught them to his children and grandchildren after the flood. We see this expounded to us in Jubilees 7, 20 and Genesis 9, 4. Abraham, he received, and knew, and practiced the Creator's ways and taught them to his children and grandchildren. We see this told to us and explained in Jubilees 21, 1 through 5, and Genesis 26, 5. Jacob, he received and knew and practiced the Creator's ways and taught them to his children and his grandchildren, and he claimed to have read the heavenly tablets. This is in Jubilees 32, 25 through 28, and Genesis 28, 10 through 22. And Moses, right? He received, knew, and practiced the Creator's ways and taught them to all of Jacob's children, all the children of Israel, and he claimed to have been given heavenly tablets with the same information as Jacob and Enoch. And this is expounded to us in Jubilees 1, 1 through 5, verse 28 through 25 through 28, and also Exodus chapters 24 through 32. So in, in finality, right, at, in conclusion of all this, we see in Enoch 104, 10 through 13, Enoch expounds to us. And he says, now I know this mystery, that sinners will alter and pervert the words of righteousness in many ways, and will speak wicked words and lie, and practice great deceits, and write books concerning their words, but when they write down truthfully all my words in their languages and do not change or diminish aught from my words, but write them all down truthfully, all that I first testify concerning them, then I know another mystery, that books will be given to the righteous and to the wise to become a joy of, become a cause of joy and uprightness, uprightness and much wisdom. And to them shall the books be given and they shall believe in them and rejoice over them. And then shall all the righteous have, who have learnt therefrom all the paths of uprightness be recompensed. So he's saying two concepts here, right? All of his words. Now, do we take literally his words, the, the original manuscripts and scrolls that he pinned them down and gave them to Methuselah and Lamech to Noah, right? To the ones that, and Jubilees 12 says that Abraham read from? Or is it his words passed down over time? The same words and information that he was given that is then re-given to mankind. That same information is being given back again and again because what does the enemy try to do? The enemy is great at book burning, right? The, the, the enemy loves to destroy information. Just like, you know, 1984, the minister Ministry of History or whatever it was, that they're always trying to destroy information from the past to rewrite narratives. This is how the, the enemy can try to get you to question what has always been written down. It's the same information. 
It's the same details of how to know the Father, how to walk with him, how to do his commandments, how to understand why his laws are good and beneficial for us, and why it's literally just communing with him through a meal called worship. Why we're to expect resurrection, why the return of the Messiah has to happen at a certain time, and in all these cataclysmic ways to save as many as possible and to rout out the wicked forever. Why all these things have all that storyline that's in the gospel of the kingdom of God that was given to Enoch, that was passed down to Noah, that Abraham understood and taught to his children, all that stuff that if you continue to read the whole Testament of Levi, he knew it too. Just like Moses knew it, just like Isaiah knew it, just like Jeremiah talks about it because he was seeing visions from heaven. Just like the prophet Ezra, the high priest and prophet Ezra knew it. He explains in his chat, in his books, all of them guys, Baruch, all of them, Yeshua in mass, Yeshua talks about it. The apostle Paul talks about it in great detail, both keeping the commandments and the gospel of the kingdom of God concerning Yeshua. Peter, John, Revelation written by John, all of these guys knew the same message. And they talked and shared and related to anyone that would listen and learn from them the same message. And they're prophesied, that message is prophesied to be put into books, plural, and given to us. So the information that's on the tablets in heaven turns into the books that we have today, that we have compiled into one. And that's its own controversy, as we've talked about on this channel in great detail. That we have, you know, what used to be um, a whole bunch of books, they, they've been changing over the years, right? And slowly trying to, to whittle out some books, which is, is, you know, causes confusion. But it's the enemy trying to, trying to uh, make us confused. But then we have, over time, people are researching. This is the fulfillment of Jubilees 23 and Deuteronomy chapter 30. You have people researching the commandments of God, looking and waking up, uh, calling to mind and remembrance the ways of the Father. And as a result, we're studying and finding all these other manuscripts and materials that have been, you know, withheld in certain parts of the world and certain religious um, control systems. But then you go and you find other groups that have kind of been not tampered with, like the Ethiopians and what they've been using for their scriptures this whole time. And you realize all this information that we can learn and test and glean from. And that's why I always encourage folks as a, as a baseline standard, know the gospel, the kingdom of God. This is going to help you test all these books that you read and find to know if they're legit or not, to know if they line up with the same storyline of all the prophets. And this is, this is an important way uh, that I would encourage you to test. But at the same time, we have a majority of those books collected for us that we can read and learn from and be a cause, like it says, of hope and faith to train us in righteousness, just like Paul explains to us in, chapter, in Romans 10, verse 3, that there is a righteousness that comes from the law, from the instructions of God, but it's kind of, you know, it's not the same perfect, complete righteousness that we'll get at the resurrection when we get a new heart, new body. But it, as Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, 11 through, uh, John chapter 15, 11 through 8 uh, through 11, excuse uh. me, that if we practice these words of the Father passed down through all the prophets that he calls his commandments, that it will give us joy. This is what Yeshua got his joy from. So guys, I just want to encourage you. Um, this is, it's, it's such a blessing that the information that we study today, that churches elaborate on and argue about, that this all prophesied that we would have all these books in our possession. So it can become extremely dangerous to start saying, well, if these books are important, let's take these out. Or I, I don't understand what that says, so let's take this out because it's confusing. It's our job to, to, to weed through the confusion and learn more. 
and to know more. It's part of our discipleship, right? As first Peter chapter one talks about that we grow in the knowledge of God. It's just, it's just part of the thing. It's part of the, part of the game, so to speak. So, but it is a blessing, the prophecy that we have and a consistent um, documentation, if you will, that this information has been passed down throughout the patriarchs and the prophets and the priests of God to be given to us today that uh, we can benefit from them and be rewarded as we study them at the resurrection, that it's, it's for us. So I just, uh, I just want to thank everyone for being here. Um, I'm going to check the chat real quick and I'm going to look out for any questions from the moderators. Okay. All right. Liam uh, Yahweh Akkad is asking about fasting on Shabbat. Is it punishable by death in the book of Jubilees? So guys, I want you to read um, chapters two and chapter 50 of the book of Jubilees. And we've actually done here. I'll pull it up for you. We have done an entire um, episode on this, the, both of those chapters. And um answer your question, uh, Liam, in short, yes, because let me see if I can get to it here. Okay. I'm going to screen share real quick and I'll show you this video. All right, guys, if y'all can see it real quick, this one right here, can I cook on Shabbat morning cup of context, um, put it out a couple years ago and it is go check that out on my channel. Can I cook on the Sabbath on the Sabbath? Um, is it punishable by death if you fast on the Sabbath? It is equivalent and equated to ignoring the commandment to, to uh, partake in the feasting of a Shabbat. Remember, Leviticus 23, 1 through 3, Shabbat is one of the fe first feasts that's mentioned in that chapter. Also in Jubilees chapter 2 and in chapter 50, um, it's considered a feast of the Lord, which is why it says, you know, make no preparations for food and drink except for what you're doing on that day, um, which is, it's not talking about cooking. It's, it's talking about the, the stuff you bring into your house to prepare for to cook. The cooking part was never considered labor guys. <laughs> so that, that was always a part of your natural daily function to live. And it's a part of the function of worshiping with the father, which is why the priests have to do it for their, for the meals. Again, this is what we've, we've emphatically tried to share on this channel to take away the stigma of sacrifice, to understand that Levitical sacrifices were literally ordained cooks with special ingredients making a meal for the father and for themselves and for the people. And they were instructed to do it in a particular way. And if you did all this in a particular way, the father was happy, the people were happy, the priests were happy, and it was considered worship. You're fellowshipping with the father. And so if you were to fast when the father says, come before me, share a meal with me and worship with me, then you're rejecting the covenant. You're rejecting one of the most intimate um, applications of the covenant. And just like other, you know, other things in the Torah, there was a, a, a punishable by death for disobeying that concept. And of course, we don't enforce the uh, capital punishment of the Torah today because we don't have the system of the elders and the judges of the high priests set up as that the Torah requires, as the instructions of God requires. That's why you, you know, they had a council that they would try to figure out what's the offense and they would go from the Torah to realize, okay, this is the offense. Is it intentional? Was it an accident? Right. Was it, does it fall under Leviticus four? Is it, we just need a, a sin of omission. Was it a mistake, right? An unintentional sin, or is he intentionally willfully defined the behaviors of the covenant that he's 
asked to practice Leviticus 18.5. So that's where a judge would come in to determine, is this offense punishable by death? The Torah, the instructions of the father says, yes, it's punishable by death. Um, but that doesn't mean that it always was carried out that way because you still want to look at how is the offense committed? That's also part of the Torah to have an evaluation. We, we see the same kind of behavior with today in courts with judges who they look at someone who's a first time offender and they realize, was this done in ignorance or is this done in defiance? Is this done in malice with forethought or was this done accidentally with ignorance? And so the judges back then, they judged in the same capacity. And just because something has a death penalty doesn't mean you just automatically give them the death penalty. It depends on their heart of defiance. Mm -hmm. So let's, um, so let's keep looking at some other questions here. I just want to thank Miss Vicky Lott for, it looks like she dropped a super chat earlier. So thank you so much, Miss Vicky, for that. I really appreciate that. It blesses us. Um, we're going to get to some more questions. I hope everyone's enjoying, <laughs> enjoying tonight. And um, let me see here. So we have another question from Get Righteous 0303. He's asking, is all these books considered the hidden manna mentioned in Revelation 2.17? Um, that's, I don't personally, I, right off the bat, just from my immediate recollection of Revelation 2, I would say no, but let's go look at it again. And let's, uh, let's take a quick look for us to discuss real quick. Okay, uh, yeah, in that, in that, okay, so it says in verse 17, Revelation chapter two, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. So we understand that he who overcomes, he takes part in the resurrection, that means you get to abide in the kingdom of God as a glorified, uh, glorified human, a glorified man resurrected, uh, just like Yeshua, right? He was glorified. And um, to the hidden manna itself, I don't think that's an idiomatic reference to uh, the, the word of God, as far as like the instructions of God, because we already have the promise of Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34, that when we step into this moment, we have all of his laws written on our hearts. So we don't have to learn them anymore. It's part of us, us being made perfect. Uh, what Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews mentions in Hebrews 10 and um, in other, other capacities are is speaking about how in this moment uh, in Hebrews chapter eight, you know, verse 10 through 13, we have the promise of Jeremiah 31 fulfilled in us that we will have his laws written on our hearts. So while we may, this is why we're made higher than the angels, guys, why we get to judge angels, because we will actually know the law better than them. There's a verse I didn't go over. Um, yeah, I don't, there's a verse in Enoch I didn't go over, but I can just read it to you real quick. Um, and it talks about the angels in heaven, how they're reading from these books that I mentioned the ones that Enoch read from. And as they're reading from these books, let me find it real quick. They have to, uh, it, it helps them know what's going to befall sinners. Yeah, here it is. Enoch 108, 6 and 7. All right. So the point of this being, is it, what, what I think what the question that's being asked is, all this information, like I've said multiple times tonight, boy, I sure would love to know everything that Enoch written down. We've only got pieces of it, you know, cobbled together from what remains over the centuries. Same thing with Jacob. He saw all this information that would befall all of his sons up until the day of the Lord. Sure would like to see all that, right? 
Same thing in Jubilees chapter one, all these things that was written down, the days of divisions and Jubilees until the point of eternity when the father comes and dwells amongst mankind was shown and given to Moses. Yet we have the writings of Moses as we have today and we don't have all that information. So like, where's the rest of the information? Sure would love to have it. And I think what Get Righteous 0303 is asking is, is that all that rest of the information hidden manna for us? And I would say in a, a simple preface, no, like on, on a superficial level, no, because all that information is expounded to us in the books that we have that I've been talking about that are that we have given to us as prophesied by Enoch in chapter 104, 10 through 13. They're given to us today throughout all the prophets because that information was reiterated to all the prophets like Isaiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Baruch, Ezra, Yeshua, right? They're continually that same message is reiterated to us over and over and over. This is why um, Ken Heidebrecht and I, Ken is from Hanging on His Words. Uh, go subscribe to his channel if you haven't already. Um, he and I did an entire show called Road to Rescue where we just talked about the details of the day of the Lord, the return of the Messiah, which are details given to us through all the prophets. You know, it's, they're everywhere. So the fundamental message is everything that Enoch saw. We may not have his specific, specific words, but we've got those same things he saw seen by other prophets throughout the time, written down, given to us in these books. So we're not missing information. The hidden manna, personally, I think, is literal literal manna. It's the, the, the bread of heaven um, because it's the bread of the angels. It's just like we are um, made like the angels, according to Yeshua, Luke 20, 36, upon a resurrection, also in uh, Brute chapter 51, uh, 8-10. We're going to have bodies like the angels, so therefore we're going to have to eat the food of angels, which is a little bit, you know, I don't, I don't think we'll be eating human food all the time. I think there's a, a different type of um, uh, a specific manna of heaven that is like a blessing to have and to eat. And that's, that's what I think he's talking about, which is why it was such a big deal for God to literally take some of that manna and drop it into the, into, uh, the wilderness for the children of Israel coming out of the Exodus. Because in my opinion, it, because it was so pure of food, it helped sustain them through that rough time they were going through. But that's often to some some speculation, and it's, it's you know, anyway. But I I personally don't think that. But the reason I'm about to read this Enoch passage is because even though we have, um, even though we are resurrected and made higher than the angels at our resurrection, just like Yeshua is, that's why we'll get to judge angels according to First Corinthians uh, six and, and other places. We are. Um, the angels themselves, they are, they have to, uh, how do I say this the right way? Um, we're going to have the law written on our hearts and know it fully and completely. They have books that they have to read. Okay. So this is why we're made higher than them. And the only, the only reason the terminology of priesthood and elevated authority, just like Yeshua was made high priest in the Kelsedek order, we're going to follow him into that Kelsedek order at our resurrection be made higher than the angels in authority. The only way you get higher in authority in the father's house and the father's system of governance is doing his behavior better than the person next to you. That's how the priests were chosen. This is why Jacob was chosen over Esau. You see what I'm saying? This is why Enoch was chosen over, you know, some of his brethren around him because people set themselves apart by diligently doing the ways of the father we're going to have that, this, the, the promise of the covenant is we have that behavior emblazoned on our, on our essence at the resurrection. So we never fail to do it. That way we will ensure that we will never sin again 
but the angels are still in their initial creative beings and they can sin. I've done an entire video on that. It's called Can Angels Sin? It's on my Morning Cup of Context playlist. Go check that out for further uh, inquiry. But here in Enoch 108, we get an, uh, a reference to that. Uh, even the angels have to read the holy books in heaven to know what's going to happen and to understand things. So here it is in 1 Enoch 108, 1 through 3, or excuse me, 6 through 7. And he said unto me, this place which you saw, here are cast the spirits of sinners and blasphemers and of those who work wickedness and of those who pervert everything that the Lord has spoken through the mouth of the prophets, even the things that shall be. For some of them are written and inscribed above in heaven in order that the angels may read them and know that which will befall the sinners. And the spirits of the humble and those who afflicted their bodies and been recompensed by God and of those who have been put to shame by wicked men. So both the outcome of the wicked and the righteous even the angels are reading books to know, reading books that have contained prophecy to know what's what's going to happen in the end of, end of time. Is it any wonder? I think it's Hebrews 13 too, where the writer of Hebrews alludes to angels longing to look into the things of mankind. So they're not perfect in knowledge, right? They're not perfect in obedience to the Torah. Clearly, we have the entire story of Enoch uh, 6 through 15 and Jubilees 5 and Genesis 6 where angels rebel. So and of course, you've got the whole Satan character who is an angel as well, and he has to be punished and taken care of. Um, clearly, angels are still in a capacity where they need to refresh their heart and mind with the words of the Father. So they have a Bible in heaven, too. So this is why angels who are part of a priesthood are used in communicating that information that heaven follows to mankind. And that's kind of the thrust of what we've been talking about tonight. So let's look at another uh Let's look at another question real quick. That was a great question though, brother. All right, let's see here. It looks like um, Liam Yahweh Cod's asking, Jubilees 50 says those who fast in Shabbat shall die. Okay, I think um, I already I think I already answered that one, brother. And let's see here again. This is grafted apologetics is second Passover numbers nine, nine through 11, also mentioned in Enoch or Jubilees. No, not that I can think of. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Let me see here. I think I may have missed something guys. Um, okay. Uh, oh, this is David. This is David Sharon Liam's question for more about Liam's question of Jubilee's fasting on the Sabbath. Because, and this is actually something we've addressed. I don't know if we've addressed this on video, but we've definitely addressed this on social media. People have asked us in our group. Uh, guys, if you haven't already joined our group on social media, come find us. It's a uh, uh, Kingdom in Context backslash hanging on his words. We partnered with Ken and his uh, YouTube channel as well, their ministry. And we have an entire group on Facebook where you can come in and you can, you know, uh, fellowship and drop posts and, and chat and ask questions about scripture. It's mainly a study group. We want to really, you know, help you understand scripture. Um, and we've, we've addressed this question quite a few times. So real quick. What, what's being asked is if it's bad that you fasted on Shabbat, if that's considered a, you know, a transgression to fast on Shabbat, why did Moses and Elijah and Yeshua, don't forget Abraham, by the way, there's four of them, and Ezra. So why did all these other guys do it on particular times? Okay. Well, if you look in those moments, let's just take Moses. He's on Mount 40 days, 40 nights, like I just read in, in Jubilees chapter one. Uh, Yeshua sent out to the, the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for 40 days, 40 nights. If they're fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, I mean, there, there's several Sabbaths that they're, they're fasting during that time period, right? So how are they not transgressing? 
Well, guys, this is because the Father is calling them to do and act specifically to draw closer to him. And they're led by the Spirit to do these things. You see what I'm saying? So this is not literally just this, just like with Elijah, he gets, you know, fed the, uh, the angel feeds him the bread so he can be sustained for the 40 days. And he goes to Mount Sinai, or just what I think, and he's, he's there. And, and same cleft of the rock that, is, that Moses was in. And they're fasting for it specifically to have an encounter with the Father. So this is why if you're going to go to the presence of, what did we talk about earlier? The whole point of having worship on a Sabbath, which is like the priests in Leviticus and Numbers were, were instructed to make a meal, which is a part of worship, for a feast day, which is a part of worship, on a Sabbath. So just as you are, are commanded to observe the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, as a feast day, which is a day that you are intended to draw closer to the Father through feasting and relaxation. Same thing if the Father calls you in a special circumstance to draw closer to him in a special circumstance. Now, all these mentions here, Abraham, Elijah, Moses, Yeshua, and Ezra, and their moments where they spend 40 days away from, um, away from people and getting close to the Father, they're doing so to get close to the Father. They're, they're not just leaving society and ignoring the instructions and ignoring the feast days for any other reason. They're literally doing the same. They're doing an enhanced version of what you're trying to accomplish with abiding in the Sabbath as a practice normally. The Father told them to do this. Just like it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath, right? To reject the covenant and not take part in the feast day is to ignore the Sabbath, which would be a, a punishment punished by death, right? Just like uh, breaking the Sabbath in other ways is punishable by death, right? Because you're rejecting the covenant. Why? Because the Sabbath is the sign of the covenant with the Father. So you're, you're showing that you reject the covenant. You're already in covenant. So Moses, Elijah, you know, Abraham, Yeshua, they're already in covenant with the Father. And the Father asks them to come closer to him specifically to set themselves apart even further. You're doing covenant behavior still, and it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath just like the priests do their job on the Sabbath and not held guilty as Yeshua explains in Matthew 12. You see what I'm saying? So what, what, I guess where the, where the dichotomy comes in, where the question seems to miss the connection is that people think, oh, if, if it's bad to fast on the Sabbath, then the whole point of Jubilee is telling you that fasting on the Sabbath is, is kind of like a, you know, it's, it's punishable by death is because that would be you showing that you're rejecting the covenant. But if the father asks you to draw closer to him in a specific way, and many of these prophets, these are prophets, that's your first point of context. Two, there was specific examples that validated that the father truly did, the spirit of God truly did draw them to this type of obedience during this time. Um, that's something else. And you're, you're getting close to the father, which is doing good, which is the whole purpose of Sabbath anyway. So there, there's, there is a, a special circumstance to that, I grant you, but it's followed with a lot of context. And understanding that it's lawful to draw closer to the Father on the Sabbath because you're obeying him who called them to do that. Does that make sense? These people just didn't come up with this on their own. It was a special command, a special instruction of the Father. So, of course, they're, they're not held guilty for fasting on that specific day while they're doing a special obedience to the Father. Um, let's look at, uh, let me see here. I think I don't want to miss this other one here. Graphic Apologetics. You asked about second Passover, Numbers 9, 9 through 11, also mentioned in Enoch or Jubilee. So since you're not talking about, 
some of the other mentions. Let's look at second Passover again and the verses you are talking about. I don't want to, I don't have perfect recall, so I want to make sure that I'm not missing something you're trying to expound upon. Um, uh, it's not mentioned in you know, the same thing. Okay, so in Numbers chapter 9, 9 through 11, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If any one of you or, or your generations becomes unclean because of a dead person or is on a distant journey, he may, however, observe the Passover to the Lord in the second month on the 14th day at twilight. They shall observe it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Um, so as they shall live none of it until morning or break a bone of it according to all the statute of Passover. They shall observe it. So this is, uh, it's not specifically mentioned in Enoch. Again, we have, like I said before, at, in the middle of this video, go back to my Enoch timeline video in, in my recent video playlist. And I'll show you how the book of First Enoch is constructed. It doesn't cover everything. It's literally constructed out of fragments of what we do have. So what I've been saying tonight is we don't have all the instructions that Enoch saw. As for Jubilees, it does talk about these concepts in Jubilees chapter 50. And it talks about going on a journey um, that you may be too far, that you don't want to do that if you can help it. Um, because you're therefore considered to be breaking the Sabbath, basically. If you, again... Just like I talked about with fasting on the Sabbath, the whole idea is about the, the intent, okay? Remember in Acts chapter 18, I think it's in uh, Acts chapter 18, or is it, no, it's in chapter 20, I'll go there real quick. Um, Paul is trying to get back intentionally for Shavuot, which is a Sabbath, okay? So he's trying to get back in time because he didn't want to uh, miss it, basically. I don't know if I can find it real quick. Um, yeah, verse 16, for Paul decided to sell past Ephesus so he would not have to spend time in Asia for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. That's the Sabbath, Leviticus 23. So he's on a journey doing the work of the Lord, right? Do, like making disciples in other places. And I think this was his third missionary journey that he went on and that he's coming back right before he gets arrested. So he's trying to make it back as fast as he can, but had he had been shipwrecked or had something went wrong or who knows, you know what I'm saying? He got sick in, in Thessalonica or wherever he was and wasn't able to make it back, he could have celebrated second Passover. So even though it's not specifically mentioned in certain things like Enoch and Jubilees, um, there is, Moses was given information beyond what's recorded in Jubilees. So this is why we do have the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers and the book of uh, Deuteronomy, because those are expounding upon all the instructions that were given. The book of Jubilees is like a summary book on where the law came from, how the patriarchs obeyed it leading up to the days of Moses, and any specific other instructions that were not covered in the book of the law that was given beyond that, that we see sparceled out in Exodus to Deuteronomy, basically. Does that make sense? So there's... Um, there was a lot of information given that's, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of information from heaven. It's uh, lots of information about living life. So it's not all covered in Jubilees, but Jubilees is a very helpful book as far as, like it says in chapter one, the history and the division of days in Jubilees. So it's giving you a, it's a historical book explaining where the laws came from and how the patriarchs use it. So let's look at another question real quick. Um, da -da. Sorry, that was already, I think I already answered that. Um, let me see here. Ryan Hicks of Benjamin DLC, he's asking, do you think the two witnesses come with all this restored info? 
I think so. I don't know. That doesn't say. We have so little information on the two witnesses, guys. Literally like four or five verses in chapter 11 of Revelation. Um, I personally, I, I 100% promise you they'll be speaking the gospel of the kingdom of God. Um, I don't know if it has, if it matters about the restored info. Uh, you know, they're gonna have 42 months to prophesy during the reign of the Antichrist. So I, I'm pretty sure they'll be preaching the gospel of the kingdom because that's what people need to hear and understand because it's literally about to come down. So that's the accountability they need that the father is going to be given through their message. But do they, every single piece of info from all the different books, possibly, um, that's a lot of time to expound. I haven't even had this channel up for 42 months and I've covered it in great detail over and over and over. So very possible. Um, but it's not going to be restored in the sense that like people are going to be writing down what the two witnesses are saying and passing it around as in, I don't, I don't, I doubt that would happen with the antichrist currently persecuting Christians worldwide. Um, and there being all the different plagues that we've went over in the past, as far as what happens leading up to the day of the Lord, um, all the different, all the different events and cataclysms that are, that are happening. Um, go read, Go read the Apocalypse of Baruch, chapter 27, uh, verses 1 through 13. It's chaos on the earth, guys. Where it's not going to be like, um, it's not going to be the same as far as like, there, there won't just be like people, in my opinion, there won't just be like, um, even if there is a, a TV on the two witnesses and that's being broadcasted like on C-SPAN or something, like it's the two witnesses live feed um, because they're waiting to see the, you know, them destroy someone that tries to attack them. Even if that is, I doubt there'll be audio because they're going to be preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And the enemy does not want you to understand that or hear that because it dispels the heliocentric model. It dispels transhumanism. It dispels all the stuff, the, the idolatry, the, the, the resurgence of magic and witchcraft. It dispels all the deceptions of Babylon. And that is the kingdom that the Antichrist is, is king over, right? So they don't want you to hear their message. I don't think it's going to be a situation where you're going to have a live feed with audio on the two witnesses. You may just have video. Um, and then you're just going to hear, uh, if you're lucky enough to have the ability to not be persecuted and to be a place where you do have some kind of consistent media, you're, you might hear passed around from people what they've heard them say and talking about. But I don't know. I don't know how that's going to play out. It's hard to say because there's so little information. Um, it looks like uh, Dan Perry, he is saying... Do you see any significance in Cain's offering not containing any meat? Just a thought I have when you talked about it earlier. No, because if you're not raising livestock, then you don't bring forth first fruits of livestock, right? That's not the that's not your labor. So Cain was uh, tiller of the ground. He's going to bring forth the first fruits of his produce. And so, like I said before, if you've never seen, go to the Septuagint in Genesis 4, 6 through 8, and you see that it has a totally different rendering than what the Masoretic has. And it talks about how he did not bring forth the proper um, division of his, uh, he didn't bring forth the, the proper amount because to bring forth, forth a first fruit. And so that in my understanding, that has to be a 10th and it from the, Meso, the, excuse me, from the Septuagint understanding in that passage in Genesis 4, 6 through 8, Cain did not bring forth the amount that he was supposed to. That's why his offering was rejected. So that's, uh, that has nothing to do with meat or not. So let's look at another question real quick. Crafted Apologetics is second Passover. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess it's the same question. And looks like um, Get Righteous 0303. He's asking, the heavenly tablets, are those the same mentioned in the apocalypse of Abraham? 
Probably. I don't know which verse you're referring to, but absolutely, most likely. I mean, there's multiple heavenly tablets. Depends on what's been going on. But in the Apocalypse of Abraham, uh, both in chapters 11 and also in chapter 21, I mean, honestly, it's it's like the whole ladder from chapter 10 all the way forward to chapter 31. It's just filled with prophecy and filled with um, all kinds of stuff about the resurrection and, and the day of the Lord and the judgments leading up to the day of the Lord. So 100% it's from the same stuff that because it parallels so easily with Enoch and Jubilees and Isaiah. Um, so, yeah, it's more than likely the same information. And rather, if you haven't seen it already, go to Honor of Kings on my on our channel here at Kingdom of Context. Go to our playlists. Go to Honor of Kings Season 1, and we have several episodes where we review the Apocalypse of Abraham, and we break it down, both myself and Ken Heiderbrecht from Hanging on His Words. All right, so I don't see any other questions for now. But... Um, I just hope everyone's enjoying tonight. Hopefully this has been somewhat informational, somewhat helpful. And let me see here, guys. Uh, Coffee Beans is asking, does anyone have an, a good online link to a Septuagint, guys? Um, as far as Septuagints go, I just use Bible Hub. And you have multiple translations of Bible Hub. One of the modern translations of the Septuagint, even though, like I explained last week, we don't have a perfect translation of neither the Masoretic nor the Septuagint. We're doing the best we can. But one of the modern translations of the Septuagint that I have that I personally use uh, above any others is the Brenton's Septuagint. And you can find that for free on BibleHub.com. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, I think I'm trying to catch up with some of the chat, but it seems like um, it seems like there's a few people in the chat that are really struggling with the idea of me mentioning Enoch and Jubilees tonight. Um, I also mentioned the Testament of Levi, and uh, we talked about Bucks Abraham, and we've mentioned Ezra's, second Ezra's, which is used to be in your Bible, was taken out. Because it's something that uh, if you, you know, this, you may be new to the channel and not, not familiar with how we've gone in depth for the last couple of years. Our whole series for Honor of Kings is us looking at books that used to be in the scriptures, but were taken out. And um, go catch up on those those videos. We dissect these these concepts a lot. The American Canon of sixty six that we have today is a new thing, relatively. I mean, it's only been one hundred forty years since we've we used to have eighty books in the scriptures and, and the words like apocryphal, deuterocanonical and pseudepigraphal, those are man-made made up words by dudes that didn't like one book and did like another book. So we're, we don't adhere to those terms as authoritative. We don't adhere to the authority of the Catholic church. We don't adhere to the authority of a specific denomination within Protestantism. We guys, we look at the scriptures. Do they have consistent themes and patterns? Can they line up with each other? Do they te preach the gospel, the kingdom of God? Because that's what the same message is with all the prophets, especially with Yeshua. This is our standard that we go by. And we look at other canons around the world throughout history, and we see they had a ton of books that we don't have today. Um, specifically, the Eastern Orthodox Coptic Church of Ethiopia, the Tabahid uh, canon. If you're not familiar with that, do some research. Those are literal descendants of Levites. And they've been keeping, they believe in Yeshua, and they've been keeping Torah for 2000, 3000 years, but they believe in Yeshua for 2000 years. So um, this is, you know, they have Enoch, they have Jubilees, they have Ezra, they, you know, they, they didn't have their Bible chopped up like we do in the United States. We've, the United States, we've been a, a unique test ground for a lot of different attacks of the enemy. And so it's only, 
um, moments like today in our current generation where we're calling to mind the ways of the Father and we're researching um, every bit of information that we can that talk about and expound upon the ways of the Father, specifically his central message, which is there will be a day when he comes down and dwells with us. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. So here we got another question coming in real quick. And we're, we're almost running up on hour and 45 minutes. So we'll probably be cutting off soon. My voice is about to cut out. So let's look at uh, Kingdom of Truth. is asking, have you read Ascent of James or the Holiness Homilies of Clement? Thoughts? Um, I have not read the Ascent of James or the Homilies of Clement. And, or Clementine, excuse me. So I'm sorry, I have not. Let's see here. See if there's any other questions I may have missed. <laughs> All right. Thank you, David. Sure is dropping um, a link to our new subscribers playlist here on Kingdom of Context. If you guys are new to the channel and never seen that before, make sure you go check that out um, because I specifically put videos in there to kind of yeah, catch you up real quick on the central thrust of why we have a context tree. Um, all the different themes that we talk about, about the, the good news, of the kingdom of God that Yeshua preached about and why we talk about some of the things that we do on our channel. So go check that out. All right. I want to thank everyone for being here. Um, hit the like button before you go. It looks like there's 96 people watching and we've got 61 likes. Let's see if we can get that this week up to 300 likes. If you're watching this, um, even if you don't like it, the down thumb button, it's okay. I can take it. But we do, uh, we do really appreciate everybody showing up and asking questions. And Andy Pandy is asking, I think he's asking me, do I believe in the divinity? Uh, I think you spelled it wrong, brother. Uh, the divinity of Christ. Yes, of course. The divinity meaning his divine nature as far as in his, his behavior. Um, as, was he righteous? Was he without sin? 100%, yeah. I mean, if that's the definition of the word divinity that you're using, that is the scholarly definition, then 100%, yeah. Um, do I believe he's the father in the flesh? No, there's a father and there's a son. The father sent his son. This is 1 John 4, 14. This is the central understanding of the Messiah's role to be our Messiah. So I, we're not a Trinitarian, but if you're welcome to go to our debates, it's under the hashtag debates in the playlists. If you want to check out some of the debates I've done about the Trinity, they're under there. You might have fun watching those. So um, Seven Ninja Slippers is asking, so would it be okay to work after sundown on Saturday? If you are observing Sabbath, which is what we do from Friday evening to Saturday evening as one full day, then, you know, after the sun goes down on a Saturday, if you need to go work, that's it's fine with, fine with, uh, I would, I would think that that's okay. That's fine. Um, I know some people, they celebrate Sabbath in a different way. So it's really, we personally, we've done, um, an episode like, I don't know, two months ago, we talked about the scriptural start of the day. So we observe evening to evening. So you're welcome, uh, JC and the Kedoshim, you're welcome. Um, yeah, thank you, Clayton, you're welcome. Thanks for being here, everybody. Yes, Andy Penny, First uh, Timothy 3.16, the Son of God manifests in the flesh. That's right, he came down, born of a woman, born of a virgin, and he uh, lived a sinless life in the flesh, died, was resurrected, and was glorified, given an incorruptible body. So, yeah, we, we understand the basics of, this, of the Son's life and death and resurrection and ascension to the Father in the heavenly tabernacle. In fact, you may really enjoy our episode that we did on 
Yeshua as our high priest, because we go over a lot of the language from the Old Testament with the fulfillment of Yeshua and what he does for us currently right now, which is amazing, right? It's 1 Timothy 2.5. So uh, that's called our eternal high priest, or excuse me, it's called Yeshua, our eternal high priest. You can find it under the priesthoods playlist on our, on our channel. Hopefully that'll bless you. Guys, thanks for joining us tonight. I don't think I see any other. Oh, wait, certain man has a question. Um, do you think the holy books will ever be revealed to this ungodly world before Jesus rules over us all? Mainly so we can repent and be gathered without. Brother, they already are. Yes, yeah, I apologize. I, I, I'm not. Uh, the whole point of tonight's, I don't know if you just jumped in kind of late, um, but the whole point of tonight's broadcast is to show you that the books that we literally have in our possession you know, some of them are, bound, are uh, compiled in different ways. Like here's a suffer. It's got a whole bunch of the um, of the books that were taken out of the KJV. But we've got other books, um, multiple different types of Bibles, right? That we have all this information that's in our Bibles plus information that's in the quote-unquote apocryphal and, pseudo, uh, and deuterocanonical books. That is the information that was given to Enoch and to Jacob and the patriarchs before us that has now been given to us throughout multiple prophets throughout the years. So there is, um, and it, all of it, all of it is, you know, expressing the good news of the kingdom of God and Yeshua is the central theme of that as well, because he's the king of the kingdom that's coming. So we have the information already to, to know what's going what, who the father is, who the son is, who our king and high priest is, what, when they're going to come to us and what it looks like when that happens and how we know we must repent and believe in the name, which is the authority of Yeshua in order for us to obtain salvation unto eternal life. And part of how we exemplify that in our daily lives is by emulating his behavior, just like I talked about tonight in spades, how we do the ways of the father, which is he calls his instructions, his commandments. That's his literal behavior. He's saying, I'm teaching you, this is how I behave in heaven. Practice my behavior. You're not going to be perfect at it, but I want you to practice it. I've given you an eternal high priest in Yeshua. When you fail, he'll make atonement for you. First John 1 9, but I want you to practice this. And by practicing it, you're showing me that you're willing to endure to the end. And I will reward you for practicing my behavior, which is my covenant. And I reward you by this with resurrection when my son returns. So that's in a nutshell, the gospel, the kingdom of God. But yeah, man, uh, yeah, we've got the information. So we definitely do. Let me see. Uh, Andy Pandy is asking, why do most Jews reject the divinity of Jesus? It's because they have spiritual blindness, my friends. So pray for them. Continue just to give them the word. Um, Mark 4.14, the sower sows the word. And that's that's all you can do. You just pray that the Father draws them in. There's a lot. Remember, don't don't put a, that word Jews as a blanket statement over all, all people that share in that ethnic bloodline, right? Remember, the first people that believe in Yeshua were Jews. <laughs> Our Messiah was from the tribe of Judah, right? So this, you know, just uh, anyone can come to salvation through repentance. Anyone. Um, let me see here. I think I saw maybe another quick question before we go. Hey, you're welcome, Kingdom Truther. Um, da -da. All right, I think I, I don't know if, if people are talking to each other. I don't think I saw any other questions right there. Uh, 
Get Righteous 0303 is asking to do a video on the Canon. I'm not sure exactly what you mean by that. You may want to expound in the comments after the video is over, but that's all we do is just dissect the Canon, brother. I mean, we've talked, go again, go watch our Honor King series. We got two full seasons. You can binge watch. Uh, it's like, it's like 48, I don't know, uh, 42 episodes or something like that. So you got plenty to watch, brother. Um, we go over all kinds of information related to the Canon and the Apocryphal books. And um, let me see here. All right, guys. I love everybody. Appreciate you for joining us. Hit, thumbs, hit the thumbs up button on the way out. Share this on social media. Hope you guys, if you're celebrating Shabbat, enjoy your rest. And we hope to see you back here next week. Uh, my wife will be joining me next week. And we're doing a, a special episode that we think you'll really love. So appreciate you. And we will see you next week.